0: Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Megan McKimmy. And I'm Rachel Telford. Here are your grain headlines for Friday, November 30th. Uh, so Green Farmers of Ontario continues to work on the issue of dawn and corn this year. Um, and one thing we're doing is uh, working with the Ontario Corn Committee. So OCC has two projects they're working on right now. One of them is uh, taking trials from across southwestern Ontario, and they're looking at DAWN. So they're hoping uh, this will help them get more information on factors associated with DAWN production, uh, different tolerance in hybrids consistency of tolerance across different environments, and what growers can do to help reduce their risk. They also have some future uh, plans to look at investigating a system to develop hybrid ratings as well.
1: For more information on what Grain Farmers of Ontario is doing during this dawn situation, please go to our website, gfo.ca, and in particular, check out our new webpage dedicated to farmer health. This week, Fertilizer Canada has announced a new partnership agreement between them, Grain Farmers of Ontario, the Ontario Agribusiness Association, the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs, the Ontario Federation of Agriculture, and the Christian Farmers Federation of Ontario to ensure the continued advancement of sustainable agriculture in Ontario. And that's in regards to the for our nutrient stewardship program, which is uh, you know those four key pillars of fertilizer application—right source, right rate, right time, right place—and this science-based approach really helps growers understand how efficient fertilizer application improves their profitability while also reducing nutrient loss to the environment. So this memorandum of cooperation is going to ensure that that for our certification program continues in Ontario and that's going to involve some more promotion, training, and extension activities.
0: Um, As well, Grain Farmers of Ontario is supporting the new Ontario Agriculture Task Force, and we want to congratulate the Ontario government, Amafra, and Ernie Hardiman, on these plans to lan- uh, launch uh, the agriculture advisory group that will uh, have important perspectives on agriculture in upcoming policy uh, discussions. And so this task force is something we asked for uh, back in May when we had an election asked. So we're happy to see that going into play. And the task force should meet regularly to discuss issues that impact agriculture like trade. And uh, they'll provide input on some crucial crucial decisions, So um, as well as trying to keep them from imposing any additional regulatory burden on farmers and agribusiness. So we're, we're happy to see this task force go into play.
1: Eggscape, which is the Agriculture in the Classroom program, needs your help. They want to raise $20,000 in order to train new teacher ambassadors that can deliver free food and agriculture lessons in classrooms across the province. Now, they, they have only raised so far just under $1,000 of that $20,000 goal. So we do encourage you to go to GoFundMe.com and uh, contribute to their campaign because, you know, agriculture is is a growing industry and we really need students to be aware that there are exciting opportunities and careers within agriculture in the future.
0: And like you said, uh, agriculture education is really important and it's something we're working on at Grain Farmers of Ontario and AgScapes um, helped us with some curriculum in the past. We have Uh, teacher programming that goes out to different grades and eggscape gave us a a good help with that getting it tailored to their curriculum so it's a, a good cause to try and support now, are you feeling stressed out, Megan? A little bit when Mark isn't here to help us with producing things. <laughs>
2: because
1: coming up next on this podcast, we're going to talk to Kathy Summers about how farmers can help handle their stress levels uh, right now. In particular, we're dealing with this, this uh, dawn situation and just some tips and tricks on
0: how you can uh, improve your mental health. <coughs> So we are here today on the podcast with Kathy Summers and you run the stress management and high performance clinic in Guelph, Ontario. Um, And we thought this, we've been talking more about farmer health uh, recently at Grain Farmers of Ontario, and we thought this would be a great topic for our podcast. Um, But as we always like to know a little bit more about you, how did you get uh, working in this field? Well, I grew up on a farm family,
3: and I went to the University of Guelph because I was really interested in the human kinetics program, the relationship of our brain and our bodies working together for promoting good health, and what are the factors when my health isn't so good. And when I was at school, I was very lucky to be taking a couple of courses where we were introduced to biofeedback and talked about stress responses and realized that this was having a big impact on headaches that I used to get. And the more I began exploring that avenue, I began decreasing
0: my headaches more and more. And I actually didn't know this when we first found out about you. So you grew up on a farm or in a farming community? Yes. Oh, very cool. And and where was that based out of? Near Ingersoll, Ontario. And um, what do you currently do at the uh, stress management clinic? A lot, I guess. <laughs> I run group programs and also
3: do private training, basically trying to teach people how can I release the tensions I'm holding in my body? How can I calm down emotions like anxiety? How can I settle down a busy brain if I'm a worrier or I find it hard to focus? And if I get better at doing these things, basically, how can I run my brain and body better to either improve my health or my performance?
1: So maybe we can start getting into the conversation about stress and stress management with just, first of all, what is stress? How is that uh, defined?
3: Stress is the responses that our brain and body have to demands and challenges that are put upon us. Basically, it's trying to give us some energy and narrow our focus so that we can get through a challenge and survive it. Unfortunately, in our society, things are piling up more and more frequently so that I'm eliciting this response like pulling the 911 fire alarm too frequently, and it can make me feel really uncomfortable to be holding these reactions too frequently. In the 1990s the stress researchers began reporting that sleep was no longer enough for us to recover from the stresses of the day. It's becoming more and more important in our North American world to have things that we do during our day to decrease the negative toll that turning on this response too frequently can take. Because oftentimes, lack of sleep is a symptom of being too stressed. Some people don't even realize that, but it seems to be one of the hallmarks that the stress is eating away at us. It's gotten emotional and it's under our skin. If there's a change in my sleep or a change in my GI function, it's really a signal telling me there's something that needs to be addressed.
0: And I guess that's one of the really important things that we've been talking about at Green Farmers of Ontario is actually recognizing that you are experiencing stress and some people might not even realize what all those symptoms are. So what what should they be looking for? there's
3: such a myriad of symptoms and everybody's going to be different. For some people, it's very much physical. They are aware that they're holding a lot of tension in their muscles. They're getting knots in their neck. There's more headaches, jaw tension, maybe stomach upsets. For some people, it's maybe more emotional. um, My emotions ranging all across the map and wondering why I can't seem to settle down some of these uncomfortable emotions. For other people, it will be changes in behaviors. There might be changes in their sleep. They might be drinking more coffee or smoking more cigarettes or tapping their fingers and fidgeting more frequently. And for some people, they might feel like, I'm overwhelmed, I just need to be more and more by myself. Maybe they tend to isolate themselves And sometimes it can feel so overwhelming that I begin saying, you know, what's the point? I begin feeling like there isn't much meaning in doing the things that used to give me joy because they aren't giving me joy anymore. And there's even like physical symptoms such as like skin
1: problems or you could start having like heart problems or you just might be sick more often. I know that when I get stressed out, I tend to get worn down. I get cold more often.
3: Yes, we know that our immune system is really impaired the more that I'm under stress, and so I'll catch every bug and flu that's going around. We also know that with all of our stress responses, it's um, maybe the individual themselves might not be recognizing it but the people around them do it might be you know that they have a shorter fuse and it becomes more my way or the highway (laughs) as an attitude and it's harder when people are telling you that they're noticing these changes if you're not noticing them yourself
0: And uh, I guess we could get into what are some coping strategies for um, dealing with stress and worrying and um, especially when it's been a a really difficult season for a lot of farmers this year. In the same way that
3: we get the best crop when there's a number of factors all playing in together, like the sun and the rain and heat units and um, soil nutrition, for good stress management, to become the person who's more resilient and hardy to stress and the, the storms of life, if we have several factors working to, for our favor, it could be really helpful. So the four factors that I find most effective for my clients are, number one, social connection, number two, self-care, number three, self-care calming strategies and number four watching the self talk so i'm not driving myself crazy so i'll talk a little bit about each one of these so you have an idea of a more comprehensive way maybe to begin decreasing stress number one social support is well known to be able to help us have better health and live longer It sometimes um not acknowledged, but it's very very valuable. There's something called tend and befriend. If I tend my relationships, if I befriend other people and I cultivate these relationships, it takes a village sometimes I think to deal with really really challenging situations. And it seems to be the same with regards to managing stress. So it's not going to be the number of people that I connect with, but it's the quality of those relationships. Unfortunately, if I feel like I want to isolate myself when I'm stressed, that I'm trying to just top up the tank, I feel so drained of energy, it can be a challenge to reach out, to realize that I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. But you're not 40% of farm producers seem to be reluctant to seek professional help. There is professional help available, but it also is very important to consider reaching out to your family and to your friends, to your colleagues and to other producers. You are not alone. There's a lot of great resources listed on the uh, Ontario Grain Farmers website. And you could start by actually checking off the checklist there about what are common stress symptoms.
1: I think, too, for farmers or for a lot of people in general, it's often harder to talk to those people that are closest to you because those are the people that you're more concerned about what they think of you, whether that's a friend or, you know, a colleague. So perhaps knowing where to reach for professional help might be something that uh, would be better suited to people that are in that situation.
3: Yeah. It's going to depend upon the individual where they're going to reach out first. Some people begin by just reaching out to online resources because they can do it from the comfort of their home with their schedule. For other folks, they might seek out a professional. Funnily enough, many of my clients say that when they begin saying in in a trusted family relationship or a friend relationship that they've been experiencing something going on with anxiety, for example, or certain thoughts in their head, they're often very surprised to find out that the person they're talking to says that they themselves have experienced exactly the same thing or they know other people within the family who have. And they say it takes a big weight off their shoulders because they realize they are not the only one.
1: I think that's important why we keep saying you are not alone. You're not alone in dealing with stress, but you're also not alone in being the only person that has stress. And I don't know why everybody thinks that they're the only one that deals with it seems to be a common, common thing.
3: And sometimes we feel that we should be strong. And that's even more pronounced in people who tend to be perfectionists. Mm-hmm. They feel that they should be able to use their own resources and come up with solution to every problem themselves. Unfortunately, reinvent the wheel if other people have got a better wheel uh, why don't we why don't we go to our toolbox and see what the professionals what our friends and family what our colleagues are using let's put as many tools as we can into our own toolbox and we don't have to make all the tools ourselves
0: and i think too for a lot of our farmers they might not think of it but um we have a number of uh directors and delegates that have even online said that they're more than willing to to be a resource or like please reach out to them so like, like Rachel said, it doesn't necessarily have to be your neighbor. If there's someone that's put that out there, then it's a, it's a great idea to take them up on that offer, I think. So what other techniques, I guess, um, can farmers use? And you know you had mentioned a few more that we can chat a bit more about.
3: It's very important to consider how I can look after myself. We know that if I am short on sleep, there's a huge impact on my body, but also mentally. If I'm just short on sleep one night the following day, I am more prone to recall only the negative things that happened that day. It is very, very difficult to remember anything positive that happened that day. And this is all due to just lack of sleep for one night. You could see how this can lead to feeling more down if all I can see and remember are negative things Mm -hmm. and maybe leading to becoming more depressed or more anxious. Anything that I can do to protect my sleep is helpful. So the biggest tip I usually share with people to start off would be to take the pressure off. If I'm telling myself I've got to fall asleep right now, I need all my energy for tomorrow, it's a really big day. I know that sounded pretty calm in my tone, but if you heard the words, I literally said, I've got to fall asleep now. And I sound like the army drill sergeant. I'm talking in a very demanding tone. It's very rigid, got to, now, have to. And my body and brain will always respond to this demanding tone, these words that are so rigid, by saying, that sounds really important. Well, I know what to do to meet that challenge and get it done. That means release adrenaline. But adrenaline pumps our body up and it makes our brain race. And research tells us it will take three times longer for us to fall asleep. If I'm saying I have got to fall asleep, right now, that it's urgent or so important that I get back to sleep if I've woken up in the night. And so we want to take that pressure off. Instead of talking like the army drill sergeant, when I'm in bed, it's much more helpful to say, it's so nice to just rest, to rest and slow down my breathing, to rest and relax my muscles, especially around my eyes and my jaw, to rest and be warm and cozy underneath the blankets because it's when we rest that sleep overtakes us. When I run my Better Sleep program and I ask people if they've ever fallen asleep in front of the TV or reading a magazine or in a boring meeting, almost everybody puts up their hand. In those situations, they're not saying they've got to fall asleep. In those situations, they're saying, oh, it's so nice to just rest after the day I had today. It's so nice to sink down into this chair and be entertained by a mindless show. And so the real key To set the stage for sleep to overtake us is to rest our brain and to rest our body rather than demanding that sleep has to come. Think about just resting your brain and resting your body.
1: And when we talk, when you talk about how people sometimes will just fall asleep in front of the TV or something like that, I've heard though that it's not recommended, for example, to look at your phone or look at your iPad or something while you're in bed and trying to relax because I don't know if it's the light or, or whatever it is that affects your sleep. So how can pe- what can people do if they're awake at night that isn't something that would be detrimental to sleep?
3: You're right. Light is a signal to be awake and even more vital is the fact that blue light spectrum really makes our brain wake up it prevents melatonin our sleep chemical from being released and it makes it harder for our brain waves to shift into the slower theta brain wave the drifting off so it's very very hard to fall asleep if I've been exposed to that blue light spectrum from devices tablets and screens prior to bed it's recommended for an hour to an hour and a half before bed to have put those devices on charge in another room so that I can let my brain calm down and get my body ready for sleep And so what we really would like to do is something that will engage my brain so I stop thinking about my worries, I stop thinking about my day, I stop thinking about tomorrow's to-do list or the plans for the holidays, and that my brain is focused on something that is neutral and it's emotionally calm. So some people tell me before bed, they've got rituals. They might write in their journal, they might pray or say the rosary, they might do some stretches or some meditation. Some people organize their sock drawer or they wash their dishes. They might do some light reading, things that are very heartwarming like chicken soup for the soul books. These would meet the criteria that my brain is engaged in activity but it is emotionally neutral or calming. So, so I'm not activating my brain or body as I'm getting into bed. I'm setting the stage for more rest. So
1: something like the latest crime fiction novel or something like that <laughs> is probably not. not the right thing to be reading before bed.
3: You're right. I have trouble if I'm reading something too exciting. I can't put it down. I can't go to bed because I have to know what is going to happen next in the story.
0: And I was thinking um, if for a lot of farmers, because this season's been a bit challenging, that the harvest, they're often um, their sleep patterns are probably not the greatest if they're having to take some like harvesting in the... the the evening when the ground's a little bit more solid. So is there any good practices that it's not ideal that you're not sleeping at night? Is there anything we can try and do to help mitigate that in any way and get better sleep? I think it helps to take the pressure
3: off of expecting that when I sleep, I should be able to get seven straight hours or eight straight hours. Biologically, our body cannot do that easily if we're trying to fall asleep at 11 a.m., 12 noon, 1 p.m. At those times in the clock when the daylight is out is when our brain will not really let us sleep for prolonged periods of time. And so for people who work shift work... The recommendation is that ideally I would get six hours of sleep within a 24 hour period, but it doesn't have to be 24, it doesn't have to be six continuous hours. So it might be three hours when I first come in from the field, and then if I wake up, that's okay. I might be able to get back to sleep, but if I can't do something for a little bit, and then get another hour or maybe two, and in total, if I could add up all those hours, I'd like at least six hours within a 24-hour period.
1: I've never heard that before, actually, you know, that... um I know I six hours is kind of my minimum, but I tend to need that, like, in a straight straight line. But uh, yeah, I've never heard that in a 24-hour period. Is that um, something that's been researched or just, like, where did that come from?
3: When they're looking at shift workers, because if the shift worker is working all night and then they're trying to sleep during the day, it was very frustrating for them if they were trying to fall asleep at 10 o'clock in the morning. They wanted to sleep seven hours, but they couldn't. Rather than having that expectation, now that we know biologically it's sort of hard for us to do that, take the stress off, sleep whatever you can, and then sleep another period, whether you call it a nap or your sleep number two, sleep number three.
0: <laughs> just start adding them up. That's probably a lot yeah. better than I'll do sometimes that too. You lie in bed and just hope that you're falling asleep and then you're doing nothing beneficial for yourself. So, yeah, it's a good tip. Um, I know you mentioned a little bit about healthy diets. Uh, Unfortunately, if we skip a meal, it's very stressful on our body. Our
3: body is expecting fuel to come in every three to four hours in the form of food. If I'm not eating, skipping a meal because I'm just doing extra work out there in the field and I don't have any snacks or other food with me, unfortunately, my body's going to be releasing stress chemicals to try and mobilize some fat stores or burn a little bit of muscle if it's got to to get some energy. We know this really depletes our functioning mentally and physically and so for good stress management and to prevent those stress chemicals being released and to prevent the detriment to our performance especially if we're working with dangerous equipment it would be very important to eat every three to four hours and every time that i eat whether it's breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, supper, or snack, that every time I eat, I'd be eating something to give me energy fast right now. That's why I'm eating, but also energy to last three to four more hours, which means that I would be eating carbohydrates to give me energy fast right now, combined with some protein, which will give me energy to last three to four more hours when I'll be next eating or snacking.
1: So a healthy sandwich would be a better option than, say, potato chips.
3: It certainly would because there's a lot of empty calories in those potato chips. If I, in my sandwich, had some meat or fish or egg, I'm getting the protein and the bread would be the carbohydrate. It would be a perfect combination.
1: And when we talk about um, being in the cab of the combine and working long hours, a lot of people will go for that cup of coffee uh, or have coffee on hand at all times. How does that caffeine affect our stress levels and our ability to sleep in the long run too?
3: Caffeine and sugar are considered false friends. They promise that they're going to give us all this energy. But unfortunately, two hours later, they've turned around and stabbed us in the back because there's a crash. In fact, we're at a much lower energy level and feeling a fatigue like I just want to have a nap. Much more so than if I had not had the caffeine or the sugary cookie at all. And so it would be recommended to rather than... Top myself up with coffee and donuts to have a snack that would be good carbohydrate with a good protein. However, for those folks who just love the caffeine, it would be recommended to never have it on an empty stomach. So, this is another stress food rule you never have sugar and caffeine on an empty stomach, that you would have your good quality protein and carb first, and then you'd have the caffeine or the sugary cookie, like a dessert afterwards, and that'll mitigate some of the negative effect of those chemicals.
0: I I know that you say being physical is another great one, and I guess a little bit farmers when they're out in the field are probably being a bit physical in that way, but what else can they do for the self-care in that area?
3: Well, especially in the winter months, a lot of grain farmers may be more sedentary than they are in the summertime. If I'm physically active, where I'm, you know, walking briskly through the field or through my barns for 20 continuous minutes so my heart rate is elevated above 100 beats a minute that will start burning some of the stress chemicals out of my body. We all know that there's other benefits to being active, that it will keep my body strong, it'll be good for my heart, it will keep me flexible if I'm doing some stretches. But from the stress management angle, we know you cannot beat physical activity, continuous movement for burning the stress chemicals out of our body.
1: One of the other techniques that you like to talk about is the ability to self-calm. Can you tell
3: us how we can go about doing that? It's especially helpful to have the ability to self-calm because often we're turning on stress responses, basically preparing for fight or flight, and yet it's not always appropriate to be punching people in the nose or (laughs) punching and kicking our equipment when it doesn't work properly or running away. Mm -hmm. And yet our body is activated. It's trying to give us energy so that we can tackle a challenging situation. So if I realize that there are these very physical reactions, it's helpful to be able to self-calm. I usually begin the training by where we are responding. The instantaneous responders with the fight and flight reaction are tightening the jaw and tightening around the waist. This is in case there really is a fight and somebody is punching or kicking me. If you trap a wild animal and it wants to get away, it will try to bite you, and so we're programmed exactly the same way, there can be a lot of tension in the jaw. We also will tighten around the waist in case a kick or a punch lands below the protective rib cage and thus create some damage and maybe some lethal injury to our internal organs. So I usually begin by suggesting that if I realize that I'm feeling tight. Or this is a situation I don't like because everything we don't like will tighten us up. If I don't like being late, if I don't like what's going on with the time frame here, there's too much to do and not enough time to get it done in. I don't like the tone in which they're talking to me or I don't like the tone with which my tractor seems to be grumbling at me today. It doesn't (laughs) bode well. If I don't like something, I will automatically be tensing my jaw and tensing my waist. Unfortunately, through feedback loops, this will then activate even more of a stress response. If it is not appropriate to punch fight or run then I want to dial back this reaction so teeth apart release any pushing that might have been creeping in through the tongue and with my jaw remaining relaxed let go of the tension or the pulling in of my stomach so I can actually breathe from that area around my waist. We rarely let go of all tension the first time we say to let it go so it's helpful to say to the waist let go more let go even more of the tension there at the waist allow myself to breathe more effortlessly from the diaphragm. And if you're a person who has ever taken singing lessons or played a woodwind instrument or done any scuba or swimming or martial arts or yoga, you might be very familiar with the concept of breathing from the diaphragm at the level of the lower rib cage. If I could start breathing from the diaphragm, So I'm breathing low in my trunk from my waist, rather than overusing the shoulder muscles, which are part-time helpers that will come in the more tense I am around my stomach. Once I'm breathing from my diaphragm, it would also be helpful to slow down my breathing, because another part of the stress response is I'm speeding up my breathing, or I'm holding my breath, or I'm lengthening the inhale to get more oxygen, because I think I'm gonna have to be moving or fighting very soon. To calm ourselves, After relaxing the jaw and the waist, it's helpful to slow down my breathing and get the breath out longer than the breath in. In fact, if I could practice over three to four week period, if I haven't done any breath training in my past, so that I could comfortably get so slow that I'm breathing in for four seconds and out for six seconds, literally Seconds on the clock. I know some people count (laughs) fast and some people count slow inside their head. But literally, breathing in for four seconds and breathing out for six seconds seems to be the sweet spot that kickstarts our parasympathetic nervous system, which is the part of our nervous system that calms us down. If I was to breathe like this with more relaxed muscles for three minutes it seems to start decreasing some of the inflammatory responses in my body. It begins beefing up my immune system just a little bit and doing some really heart-healthy things. And if I was to do breathing slowly like this for seven minutes minimum, if I've been prone to anxiety, it might start decreasing some of those sensations of anxiousness, the pressure across my chest, the palpitations or skipped beats of my heart, feeling like it's a tight band of pressure on the upper part of the trunk, or hard to concentrate or focus, my mind going blank sometimes. Though it sounds very simple, but it can be profoundly effective if I could just start by relaxing my jaw, teeth apart, release the pressure from my waist so I can breathe from the diaphragm, and then slow down my breathing so it's in for four seconds and out for six.
1: I think that's really helpful. Even just as you were talking, I was was starting (laughs) to do that and I was like, I wasn't really that stressed, but I kind of feel a bit more relaxed because I was was practicing a bit as you were talking.
3: Many people tell me if they start doing this, every time they sit down on that tractor seat, every time they're stopped at a red light in traffic, every time they're waiting for their computer to warm up or the printer to print off that material, every time they're waiting in line, if they do it frequently during the day, they begin noticing that they're not holding so much tension. Physically, they start feeling a lot better.
0: And um, I know you had mentioned earlier about physical symptoms, and we talked a little bit about headaches, and you had, you had mentioned that too as an interest. So um, if you're experiencing headaches, and how does that relate to stress, and what can you do for that? Headaches can be triggered from a variety of different
3: things. It can be triggered from tight muscles, and so people who tend to squint their eyes a lot during the day or maybe their glasses are not a good prescription, for them anymore it could be from clenching the jaw which is very much a primary stress response every time something happens we don't like we tend to clench our jaw a little bit for some folks they're hiking their shoulders up around their ears there's a go 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 kind of person and that tension in their neck and their back and their shoulders over a long period of time is actually leading to a headache for some people it's not just tension related that can be the trigger it could be that they're holding their breath or they have a poor breathing pattern during the day or perhaps consuming certain foods. Uh, Many people will know the migraine triggers, certain foods like the red wine, the pickled herring, the old (laughs) cheese, the caffeine, the chocolate. These foods constrict the blood vessels. Poor breathing patterns can also constrict the blood vessels. And for people prone to migraine headaches, this is a trigger. If I skip a meal, that may also result in the release of stress chemicals that will constrict the blood vessels and can be triggers. So a multiple of uh, possible triggers for headaches. And so I know I sound like your grandma when I say, if you want to really decrease the headaches and you want to decrease the stress, it would be really helpful to make sure you're getting a, a full night's sleep and you're protecting your sleep as much as possible, that you're eating quality food every three to four hours, that you are moving your body and exercising, and that you're decreasing the tension that you're holding in your body and you're breathing well but grandma was right. These things
0: work. <laughs> and um, I know another uh, point you had uh, pointed out earlier was self-talk. So can we go through that a little bit?
3: We talk to ourselves all the time inside of our head, and most of the time we aren't very aware of it. I was mentioning earlier about when I'm in bed, how I might become very demanding, saying I've got to get to sleep now. And that if I change that talk, it actually will be easier to drift off to sleep. I take the pressure off one other thing that really commonly comes up with my clients is that they start worrying. You know, what if this is a real problem? But what if it's worse than that? What if it impacts my bottom line financially? What if it impacts how things go next year on this farm? What if it begins tearing down my health because I'm already getting these colds and I'm not sleeping very well and I'm getting more headaches? What if I can't get on top of it? And what if, what if, what if? Scarier and scarier scenarios. This is called catastrophizing. I'm not stopping the talk, I'm thinking about something that is scarier. What if is one of the scariest phrases that I know. It really ramps up anxiety and it turns on stress reactions. The problem with all this is that our brain is built with a negativity bias. It is thought that this is evolutionarily very helpful to us. If something really negative has happened to me today, I don't want that to happen again in the future. And so I put up my radar screen and I'm sort of looking for negative things. And so we do, at the end of the day, more easily remember the negative things. When I get in from the day and my family asks me how were things, the easiest thing to remember are all the hassles and the irritants and what broke down and how somebody got on my case and the timing didn't work. And it's much harder to remember the positive things that happened. Similarly, if I think about a problem, what if this crop is a total failure? What if there's further impacts? What if our brain's not going to let go of this thought? Like Velcro, our brain is going to hold on to it because what our brain really wants us to do is to survive. It wants us to come up with a plan to get through this situation, to weather that storm. But unfortunately, we're working with that negativity bias, which makes us prone to overestimating how bad it could be. The example that I was just giving earlier And we also are prone to underestimating our ability to deal with it. And we also are more prone to ruminating on the problem. And that term ruminating comes from ruminant animals who have more than one chamber in their stomach when they eat the grasses and they start chewing their cud. Ruminating means mentally human beings are chewing their cud or they're chewing over that one thought again and again and again. And if we're chewing over just the problem and how bad it can be and start thinking about what if it gets worse, we're stressing ourselves more. It helps to be aware that we've got this negativity bias and to begin to intervene. Is especially helpful if I take a piece of paper, if I've got to be a worrier and worry anyways, at least let's worry right. W-R-I-T-E. On the piece of paper in the first column, I write down what is the problem? What if, realistically, this is the situation that I'm facing? I write down all the legitimate concerns. But most importantly, I write down in the second column, what am I going to do to cope with this? How am I going to handle this to get through this? It. And sometimes we have to end up writing down, I'm not in control of the situation. I do not control the weather. I cannot control the vomitoxin. I cannot control the economy. But I can control myself and my reactions in this situation. What can I do to stay physically strong so I could protect my sleep time, be physically active, and make sure that I'm eating nutritiously every three to four hours? I could contact family and friends, and I don't always have to talk about my problems, but just the connection, that I'm not alone in this life, that I am sharing good times or just pleasant talk about the weather with other people. And what's my plan? What is my plan? What can I work on on this farm to be effective over the next day, the next week, the next month, how can I learn from this to become a better farmer, a better entrepreneur? What lessons are there in here? And the tips to become stronger. Mm -hmm. The bottom line is that we have a negativity bias. We are prone to focusing on the negatives. But if that's all we do, we get more stressed and find it difficult to cope well in a situation To become more stress resistant, I recognize there are problems, but I say to myself, I will handle it, and I literally write down what steps I'm going to take to handle the situation, to work on this farm, and to look after myself and stay physically strong to get through this.
1: And what would you recommend for farmers who, if they're at that point, they just can't see a way to work through it themselves or, you know, that stress has led to maybe deeper anxiety or depression? Um, How do they recognize that they are in a position where they can't handle it themselves and that that's okay, that they might need help?
3: Feeling like I'm stuck means it's time to talk to other people, um, pick their brains. Other farmers or role models, or maybe people that I've seen in a movie, you know, they handled a really tough situation and they seem to thrive in it. I don't feel like that. I feel stuck. I really don't know what the next steps are. Well, why try to reinvent the wheel if I've got no idea how to even start building a wheel? I'd like to talk to other people and find out what are they doing to get through the situation or what resources are they activating? Or are there skills that they are learning to help them economically, or skills with their brain and body to cope with their reactions? So I would say reach out if it feels like I don't know what the next step is to take. Reach out if it feels like all the things I'm trying on my own to deal with the tension in my body, or the headaches, or the stomach upset, or the sleep, if I've tried for a few weeks and it is not settling down, I need more tools in my toolbox. Usually, I would go to the hardware store and get more tools. Reach out and do exactly the same here.
1: What tips would you have for maybe some family members that think that somebody they know might have an issue? Because some people mask the their problems by acting like everything is okay. Um, So how would you encourage family members to support people who are maybe feeling stressed but not admitting it?
3: It's a challenging situation because it really depends upon each relationship and what the individual has found works well. I think feeling like I'm not alone, just knowing that there's somebody there who would hold my hand at the end of the day, somebody who would give me a hug. Some people tell me that what really helps them get through a tough time is knowing that there's children there and the children are excited to see them, that the children uh, want to do activities with them, that having that childlike wonder, trying to live in the moment and not always dwelling on possible scenarios in the future or flogging myself mentally about things that have happened in the past months, trying to live in the moment may be helpful. Other things that the family might do might be having that family time for a meal and um, just sharing some time together. It may be possible to open a conversation when everybody is feeling comfortable. And so often after a meal, after maybe having a few laughs, watching some funny YouTube videos or your favorite comedy movie um, when you're more relaxed it may help be helpful to open up the conversation simply saying I I notice some things I'm wondering if it would be helpful to and fill in the blank Mm -hmm. or sometimes People tell me they just put a helpful book that they found helpful on the coffee table and hope the family member will pick it up. Or maybe by telling a story, I heard Jack down the street, um, found it was really helpful to do this for his sleep or for his headaches. Have you ever thought about that? Or maybe you want to talk to Jack about what he was doing.
0: So just being, being available for your family members and letting them know that, that you're there and available to talk, I guess, is a, is a big one. Um, Thank you, Kathy. I guess uh, I think that was a really great some first steps for farmers and I hope that they um, hear that and we have resources on our website. But um, if they do want to reach out to you or look into their own communities, what are some good resources there? There's a lot of great resources. I think the challenge is to find
3: them. I know that in pretty well every family health team, there is a counselor available. And so it would be helpful to speak to your physician and say something is going on, um, maybe physically, with the headaches or the stomach upset or the sleep, and see what resources they would recommend. But also then to say, "This are the thoughts that are inside my head. If I realize that it is some of the worrying or the catastrophizing and the what ifing, I'm not able to get on top of that. I'm not able to focus more on actions. I'm getting mired down and focusing on problems. Um, the counselor there would be able to see you and there'd be no fee for that in many communities uh, if you're near a larger center there will be professional counselors and professional psychologists and psychiatrists who would be available i run programs in relaxation and stress management you may find those at places like community colleges sometimes in high schools or continuing education programs within the community and um Sometimes uh, at universities if you're close to one of those larger
0: centers.: Well, thank you, Kathy, for being here on the podcast. We really appreciate it and I think that was a great conversation.:
1: Coming up next on the podcast, we talk to our CEO, Barry Senth.
0: joined today on the podcast by barry sent their ceo at green farmers of ontario and just this week we uh, had an announcement from the government telling that they were going to put some funding to help uh, farmers with the dawn issue can you tell us a bit more about that
2: sure uh, some cap funding for the uh, issue that we have here in ontario regarding the dawn issue so um uh this this money's going to be uh directed to uh both helping and assisting farmers in the testing of uh of their uh of their corn crops so that they can and know uh what they are exactly marketing as they search out markets for this uh for uh, uh corn that's infested by uh, by dawn uh and I think that goes either towards the tests itself or uh Again, while we haven't seen exactly all the details or even the purchase of a tester, and that is also extended onto the feed industry and livestock industry, so that uh, who is a large customer of corn, of course, uh, that they uh, have some tools to manage this issue. We have some money directed to that of uh, market development, uh, looking at different markets for uh, our corn crop, and uh, and that is uh, underway from a GFO perspective. That said, uh, some of these markets are uh, going to take a while to develop, and with that, uh, the corn has to be stored somewhere. So some monies have been de- dedicated towards uh, the storage of this crop, because while those markets develop, going to take time. If we try and push that corn through the existing uh, infrastructure too quickly, it just, you just, farmers experience uh, Uh, significant discounts and what we're trying to do is ease that up and uh, with that we've initiated the uh, um, almost a research uh, slash uh, additional storage, immediate storage with some grain baggers and we've got uh, one that started in the Lindsay area yesterday, uh, one that we've leased uh, working with uh, farmers in the industry on that one. Uh, We have two in the process of being delivered from the West they left the West yesterday. Hopefully we'll have them running uh, up and running by noon on uh, on Monday. And then uh, the the uh, other initiative that was announced was some money dedicated to the full value chain. Uh, the first three areas were uh, money's just dedicated to uh, farmers and to uh, and then through to uh, the GFO as an organization. This fourth category is money that can be accessed by the entire value chain for, again, a number of different issues, both shorter term and longer term, as it, um, as it pertains to the DAWN issues. So uh, I think um, money that's uh, going to be well-used and well-directed, but uh, compared to the loss that some farmers are facing, uh, um, there's still a significant uh, gap uh, from that perspective do
1: you think that this announcement by the government federal and provincial is a result of the meetings that we've had with them and sort of our involvement and and what we put forward at that meeting that was held a couple of weeks ago with Ernie Hardiman?
2: oh well, absolutely we've uh, our, we've started we started our discussions with the minister exactly one month today i think it was the 29th of, today's the 29th uh Uh, We started that uh, with a conference call with the minister, giving him and his staff an uh, an update or a heads up on uh, that there was going to be a significant issue here. The following week, we had the tour uh, over at Kevin Armstrong's farm. And with that, the idea of coming up with the industry meeting. And I think then following uh, that next week, the industry getting together, uh, and talking about the issue, and in the following week, uh, we started discussions with the with uh, Omafra and uh, coming to the result of uh, what was announced yesterday
1: and that sort of leads into now there 's this agriculture task force that 's been announced at the provincial level, um, which I guess going forward will continue the collaboration between uh, commodity groups and others in agriculture with the province
2: well I, you know this is, was, this was an election asked by GFO. Uh, to the uh, in through the provincial election back a few months ago, is that there be a uh, a senior advisory committee to th- the minister in through to the premier about uh, uh, issues of how we recognize agriculture as a significant contributor to the economy of uh, of Ontario. One of the things, and I think you just seen this this past week of uh, some of the other. A significant uh, contributors to the economy uh, the issue with that is they can up and move somewhere else to do business at less cost can't move farmland and the issue is that of you know let's recognize that we have a a solid base as far as an ongoing uh, contributor to the economy uh, food production kind of important and uh, and what do we need to do uh, in Ontario to ensure that we have a vibrant uh, uh, industry which uh, includes all of agriculture, not just grains and oil seeds, all of agriculture, and how we move that forward, how we uh, make it uh, attractable for outside investment uh, by regulations uh, or, uh, you know, the right regulations. And so I think this advisory committee, we thank the government uh, for forming this because I think it's important uh, as we move forward to have the right, uh, environment uh, for agriculture to continue as a contributor and to increase that as maybe we see some of the other uh, industries exit Ontario.
0: And we'll probably be talking about Don and some of these other topics at our district meetings that will be starting in early January. And, and why is it really important that our farmer members get out to those?
2: Well, because it's their organization. It's, uh, you know, we work for farmers. It's important for uh, farmers to uh, be giving their input on uh, the direction of the organization Um, our board of directors there'll be elections in the uh, in the odd number uh, 2019 the odd number of districts so uh, it's important to be there and to uh, pass on whether it's an election of the board member or uh, just passing on your concerns your suggestions uh, whatever that may be on to the organization that we continue to work on your behalf.
0: Thank you Barry for joining us today on the Green Talk podcast.
2: Thank you guys.
1: Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash A special thank you to our guests, Kathy Summers, Barry Senth, and thank
0: you to our producer, Mark Carter. Help us grow our Grain Talk podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes and Google Play. You can also now find us on Spotify.